I can do things that wear it without asking anybody, even my Coney wife. Coney Island, world's biggest barrel of and fun. anywhere else your imagination takes you. Okay, we've done that now, Mark. You get the whole show now, you hurry, hurry, hurry. Anything's possible at Disneyland. Welcome aboard the Themed Attraction Podcast, where we take you for a ride through the wonderful world of theme park design, that is. You've just joined us on our maiden voyage to discover the who, what, why, and how they did it via in-depth discussions with theme park industry masters of the craft. I'm your skipper, Freddie Martin, and on my right is theme park designer, master planner, and spatial storyteller from Storyland Studios, Mr. Mel McGowan. Where are we headed today, Mel? Well, Fred, today's a special day as we kick off the first episode of the Themed Attraction Podcast. We're going to use this quick episode as sort of a thesis statement for what passengers will encounter when they subscribe to the show. We'll talk a little about where the podcast came from and, more importantly, where it's going into the future. Wow, Mal, this sounds like a fun adventure. I can't wait to see where it takes us. Okay, folks, keep your hands, arms, and feet and legs inside the boat because episode one is about to leave the dock. Hit it, Sam. I'm pretty excited about this. How about you, Mel? Totally. It's been a while. Long time coming. I know. This has been a long time coming. It's exciting to start something new, starting to have the first time sitting down to record this podcast. Um, I'm excited to be sitting next to you. I'm excited to learn from you. I'm excited to uh, find out more and more about what this idea of building themed attractions is and to hear from your experience and hear from some of the relationships that you've built over the years. I'm excited. Likewise, I mean, it's been an amazing ride and journey, you know, kind of getting to know you as a, as a client first, then a friend, uh, as a, a fellow Waltz wise man, we're going to have to have a whole <laughs> podcast episode talking about that day yeah, that's awesome. in LA, kind of tracing Waltz footsteps. But uh, yeah, it's, this is just a fun next uh, adventure together. Yeah. And, you know, speaking of first times, um, I just want to start with an opening question. Do you remember the first themed attraction that you experienced? Uh, you know, I remember it pretty vividly because it literally probably is one of the first two memories that I have, period. Mm. Um, I was uh, born actually in Vietnam, uh, so I remember bombs going off or some of, some of the earliest memories. But literally the very first memory I have outside of Vietnam uh, is uh, flying out the window of the Darling House uh, in Peter Pan's flight. Uh, and uh, I remember actually going back to Disneyland when I was an adolescent um, because again, I, you know, I then moved back to, and was raised in Germany. So I didn't really have a chance to go every year or anything as a kid, but the very first thing I had to do was beeline over to Fantasyland and Peter Pan's flight and figure out how in the heck did they throw me out the window and how did I survive that, you know, and then flying over the rooftops at London and, you know, my informal sur- survey at, uh, Imagineering still says that that generally is uh, most Imagineers' favorite uh, attraction. I mean, I think uh. there's just a real magic to that attraction in terms of the minimum footprint, the critical mass, and mm. the, the the unique uh, immersive uh, variety of experiences that, that... I mean, so it's still probably my favorite attraction as well as my first. Yeah, I, I feel the same way about that attraction. That The, the way you are uh, set free to do something that you could never do. I mean, the, the story of Peter Pan's great. It talks about flying. It's like, oh, wow, wouldn't that be neat? But then you get an actual opportunity to do that. And I think 
Um, we could get into this a long time later, but I mean, the idea of this this latest attraction, Pandora, you think about the E.T. ride at Universal, like all rides all want to be a ride where you can fly. And I, and I think that's like a core human desire right, right. that we, uh, that Peter Pan was allowed allowed you to do it. I, I was thinking about my first attraction, themed attraction experience. And uh, recently my mom showed me some photos of me at uh, Bush Gardens in Van Nuys. Nice. And it finally <laughs> knit together some memories that I had that I thought were Disneyland memories. I really thought they were Disneyland memories, but they were Bush Gardens, Van Nuys, which doesn't exist anymore. They just pushed out the walls, uh, filled in all of the channels and all the boat rides and took down the monorail. Yeah. All of their stuff that they had there. They I still all, think took about it, it every time I pass that animal yeah, or at, bush uh, factory. And, the, and you know what? There's remnants of it. You can still see one piece of the park yeah. from the road. But anyway, that is gone now. And I saw a picture of me standing by this waterway and there's this pretty white boat and I thought it was a Jungle Cruise boat in my childhood memory but it's really the Bush Gardens boat going by a bunch of waterfalls so my first it, it was this idea of adventure like climbing onto a boat and going somewhere that you can't can't that's ever awesome. go and that's what themed attractions uh, really are all about and so that's what how we feel like today, like that first How time. How ironic that uh, someday you would grow up and skipper those boats. Yeah, right? that's right. <laughs> I think it was the spark that ended up having me uh, drive those boats at Disneyland. So, uh, yeah, it's so true. So, uh, what we're uh, in this first episode, uh, we're going to want to tell the story of this show, where it's going, what we hope it'll become, and uh, what to expect for, to hear from our guests. But first, I want us to introduce ourselves, let people get to know us a little bit, um, get to know who these cats are who are going to be uh, telling you and sharing with you their background and information about themed attractions, educa educating our, our uh, passengers. That's you, listener. Um, we want to give you the best uh, start off with this show. So, Mel, tell me about yourself. What's your story? Where do you come from? And what qualifies you to be here in the themed attraction podcast? <laughs> well, probably not much, I, other than the <laughs> fact that I've been uh, in the industry for a few decades and uh, have probably incurred some brain damage along the way. <laughs> I think the real key is that I've met a few people along the way and um, and uh, have a few numbers on my uh, on my Rolodex, and that's a, a nice way of dating myself there. Um, but uh, or I could use my daytimer as another dated reference point. But yeah. again, I think I've uh, got a few friends that uh, we might be able to encourage and and bait and bribe to uh, come on the show and share again yeah, their wait. their stories. And so I think that's my primary qualification. But uh, basically, again. Um, Grew up primarily in Europe. Um, you know, my dad finally retired, finally got back out to California. Um, and uh, pretty early on, I mean, it, from the age of like 12 years old, I think, and on, I was in my room drawing mm -hmm. theme park master plans and future cities and mm -hmm. first merit badge and Boy Scouts was architecture. Mm -hmm. I, I pretty much knew what I was wired to do. Uh, I wish I would have had the idea of patenting the idea around yeah. a roller coaster tycoon or, you know, <laughs> whatever these video games. But unfortunately for me, uh, I thought I was the only geek on the planet that would actually yeah. sit down and enjoy having eight hours locked in my room yeah. with a piece of trace paper drawing out uh, future cities and theme parks. And, and again, um, follow that wiring, ended up uh, going right to work for Disney, uh, actually while still in film school mm. uh, and uh, finished my undergraduate there. 
Uh, and then eventually, basically, Disney paid for my graduate degree. I mean, had uh, just some amazing mentors and Disney legends over there. Um, had the opportunity to work on uh, the expansion of the, the Disney Anaheim properties uh, from, you know, kind of that one day uh, original 160 acre magical little park that a daddy built for his daughters mm-hmm. uh, and then really helped transition that into uh, a multi-day uh, urban resort garden district, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and, and not quite at the scale of Florida, but certainly uh, at the scale of, uh, you know, the kind of environments that I grew up in Europe, where you have these wonderful, walkable, human-scaled pedestrian mm-hmm. uh, destinations. And, and um, you know, and ultimately the idea of, you know, filling out the old parking lot, which I know some of us nostalgically <laughs> missed that old 100-acre uh, <laughs> black asphalt, but, you know, the idea of tearing up a parking lot and putting up paradise. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and literally in parts of that, putting up a national park, yeah. you know, in a parking know, lot. That's, that that's a fun little challenge, you know, and, and uh, even uh, the idea of screening the outside world, including the Disneyland Hotel high-rise towers yeah. uh, from that national park setting with the Grand Californian Hotel. Mm. And again, that even relates to that first uh, memory of Peter Pan, because I remember, uh, you know, one of the reasons I got to go on that Peter Pan ride as a kid was my dad actually uh, moonlit as a Disneyland uh, employee cast oh, member. Yeah. <laughs> and he would tell what me... What did he do? He was actually in security, working oh, with Ron yeah, Dominguez, kind of the old uh, ops team. And and he, I just remember this one story that really stuck with me that, you know, he would talk about trying to clear out some of the attractions at night, including Pirates of the Caribbean, yeah. and, and going through and... Um, you know, checking to make sure that uh, there were no kids that, uh, you know, had oh, basically jumped out of the boat. And, you know, he'd tell me about these kids that would tr- jump out of the boat, try to hide in the, you know, Caribbean village, trying to spend the night. doing that. <laughs> and, and I remember specifically thinking, dude, you should not have told me that. That is an awesome <laughs> idea. I can't wait to try that. And again, that kind of got me fixated. Yeah. Uh, almost from the time I got in the door at Disney uh, into the idea of, is there a way to, again expand about up uh, you know beyond this one you know one day you know daytime whatever visitor experience is there a way to let people actually fall asleep yeah. you know enter rem sleep wake yeah. up and still be in the immersive reality still be in the dream kind of the west world idea yeah right hopefully not gone south but, <laughs> but you know just that idea Before of expanding wrong. yeah and so i was really pushing that idea of that that in berm you know hotel we looked at options behind main street kind of yeah. that victorian uh, type uh, beach hotel type thing uh, on the on the edge of the Rivers of America where Star Wars Land mm-hmm. is going up now, uh, kind of a wilderness lodge, yeah. uh, west kind of idea, and uh, we finally got the opportunity to do it when we had a new theme park in California Adventure, and and uh, you know although a lot of the other elements of that park were, you know kind of a bare bones critical mass, just kind of a a down payment on a, yeah. on a vision, uh, if you will, um, you know you know the the fact that we were able to pull off. Uh, you know, that in berm immersive uh, hotel with the Grand Californian footprint being in the park and, you know, the wings being like fingers yeah. uh, jammed into, you know, into the uh, Golden State uh, National Park kind of area. Uh, and then to be able to step out of your room and either jump onto a rapids ride or be in the middle of a downtown Disney kind of walkable, urbane, yeah. almost a European, you know, Californian uh, urban district. Yeah, know, it's really strange. Was, it was it's amazing that you can step out one door and be 
in the Sierra and then you step out another door. Yeah, and you're, you're one of the most walkable urban kind of, you know, context in yeah, Southern California. That's amazing. And again, so that was, you know, just an epic journey. Um, and, you know, was able to, to leave Disney and, um, and, and basically finish up that graduate degree and uh, start another practice with uh, actually with my brothers. And, and now we're about 75 people uh, with Storyland Studios. And we get to work with a, kind of an amazing array of companies, causes, clients, uh, literally uh, having, the, you know, as big of a blast as, as possible in some of these sandboxes, but in, in other cases, actually changing the world and, and yeah. including the project that you and I got to collaborate yeah, on that's right. uh, with uh, Poverty Encounter. So we'll, we'll talk about all that, but um, all I can say is uh, it's been a, it's been a holy roller coaster e-ticket ride <laughs> and uh, I just feel like I'm playing in this uh, amazing sandbox and uh, just feel so blessed to, to be part of this industry, to be uh, to be partnered up with uh, the unique blend of projects and companies and causes that we get to to serve and collaborate on, and so yeah, it's been just a uh, it, just an amazing ride. Yeah, I, I mean, I think you know, thinking about our listeners, you whoever's listening, our passengers, um, you as you get to know Mel McGowan uh, over your time listening to this, you're just gonna find a wealth of information and ideas for how uh, ideas become reality. Uh, and that's really been exciting to hear about your career, but also kind of follow alongside it. And that's, that's kind of how my story goes. Um, uh, we'll, we'll meet somewhere in the middle. I grew up in Orange County, uh, down the street from Knott's Berry Farm and, and Disneyland. And so... So did my wife, by the oh, way. Oh, did she yeah, really? Yeah. yeah. So you have these backyard parks. And I really didn't understand uh, that there were people in places around the country that didn't have access to something uh, of the level that I did. And I, I remember, you know, driving down the five freeway and seeing the Matterhorn coming for miles and miles around. You can't see that as much anymore because of all the uh, the buildings that are around. But uh, I just knew that that was a magnet for for me. Um, tons of great memories growing up near there and, and uh, getting to go in and into those places. And eventually that drew me to go uh, right out of high school. I literally took off off my um, graduation gown in Hillsboro, Oregon, and got into my station wagon and drove down for my to make it in time for my first day as a Jungle Cruise skipper on the uh, world famous Jungle Cruise at Disneyland. Um, sort of my start at, at in a career um, that uh, I I had hoped would be a creative career all through throughout. Um, and after my time there, learning all of the Adventureland, Frontierland attractions and meeting some really great people and learning how to be uh, the type of person who can engage with any any type of person. I mean, think about this. When you work at Disneyland, especially on the Jungle Cruise, there's you're, you're encountering millions of people at a time. Uh, and each of those people are from different background, different place, different uh, time zones, different um, uh, religions, uh, languages, and you have to communicate well to them. And so that gives me a great opportunity as a, as a grown man now. Mm -hmm. I, I, I'm comfortable in any situation. I think that's what, that, what the Disney company allows you to be able to do. But uh, left there, uh, started a family, and uh, eventually I got myself to this place called Children's Hunger Fund, which is a charity that uh, helps poor around the world. Amazing organization. Yeah, really, really amazing organization with a lot of um, strong impact around the world. And uh, 
the idea started that we we would take people at Children's Hunger Fund, we'd take people to uh, different countries to show them the work that the organization was doing in these places. And these are just a few people at a time. You don't want to, you drew, you bring, you know, a dozen maybe visitors to come see uh, a place in a developing country in a in a, thre- a threatened environment where there's people trying to make it by. You don't bring hundreds of people to see that. That's why we sent video videographers to those places to tell those stories. But we wanted people to see... But still, as you know, there's no way you can watch anything on film or video. No, or you really can't. Sound. It just does not capture your heart. It doesn't. To that, that, to that point, the time that I uh, went to Haiti right after the earthquake in 2010... Um, I had seen footage on TV, and and like the rest of, like most people who saw that stuff, it was just devastating. Like this poor, poor country was all, was poor enough already, and then they had this devastating earthquake. And I remember seeing for the first time what it looks like to see an entire building fallen over. I'd seen it on TV, but in TV, you know, I've been to Universal Studios, everything's made out of foam. You kind of immediately say, oh, that looks terrible. But until you actually smell the cement and you see the rebar sticking out and you realize that that came crashing down on thousands and thousands of people, you do not get it. And so um, the idea at Children's Hunger Fund was how can we tell this story in a better way than video? And so over several years, several months, we started developing the idea. And one day we got this opportunity because through a a group of friends, um, we were allowed access to... Uh, Imagineers. Uh, one Imagineer. Should Actually, I name at him? Walt Disney Imagineer. Yeah, at Walt Disney Imagineer. Yeah. Should I name him? Yeah, I'll name yeah. him. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, he was a friend of a friend, and he said, hey, listen, I'll buy pizza for uh, any Imagineer who wants to come in and help this charity. So, uh, during a lunch hour, a dozen uh, Imagineers looking for free pizza come in and meet <laughs> us and they get passionate about this project. And over an hour, a dream came true for me which was to sit with Imagineers and think through what this attraction could really be. They gave me one hour. They gave me an hour and again uh, uh, several weeks later. And out of that came the spark of this idea, one little spark of inspiration, which would one day become the Poverty Encounter. Well, Imagineering doesn't just do uh, attractions for charities. They've got other things to do. And so um, we needed to seek out somebody else. And that's how we got in contact with you, Mel, and your uh, brothers and uh, working with Storyland Studios to create uh, what would become the Poverty Encounter at Children's Hunger Fund. That project is still in the works. It's uh, set to open in December. I can't wait to see it because that spark that began so many years ago and then uh, as we partnered together, dreaming up ideas for how this could go to the next level, t- making drawings, hundreds and hundreds of drawings and elevations. We thought up and dreamed up this fantastic environment where people could see as close as they can without traveling to a Guatemalan garbage dump. They can see and smell what it would look like, what that experience is like. See what it's like to go to a brickyard in Nepal where people are doing backbreaking work to... Uh, to just survive, to see a disaster area like Haiti at right after it's happened. I mean, it's it's a fascinating thing, and I can't wait for people to go through that. But that's how you and I got connected. And I mean, again, that whole journey from blue sky to building. Yeah. Uh, and really, again, to focus on these four stories of four children yeah. and uh, in these four corners of the world and, and really walking out of that um, through this 
again, the skills that we've developed at yeah. Imagineering uh, of spatial storytelling and really leveraging the power of these individual stories, not only to kind of, you know, capture our heart, but to actually uh, transform, you yeah. know, our whole worldview and, and our uh, perspective and relationship. Uh, and uh, and then actually one of the things that we'll, we'll have to dig into this, yeah. but what I love is that you actually have an opportunity not to just walk out and feel bad for these little kids, right? yeah. but to actually then roll up your sleeves and do something about it. To yeah, actually right. package up food, send it out, ship it off or around the you know. So you're left with this opportunity literally to change the world in yeah. some small way. But the bigger seed of transformation is really in your mind, your heart, your spirit. And I think that's what is so fascinating about the themed attractions that we love. Like wherever we go, and we, you know, whether it's Europe or Asia, to the um, California, Florida, when we go and see these amazing environments that. Um, uh, men who know and plan and it's at least that's the old Monsanto uh, <laughs> song there's these the, these creative people men and women who have created these amazing places that are there not just to entertain you but to transform you and that's super exciting to be involved with that and since then I, I started writing and um, had the blessing and opportunity to come work with Storyland Studios um, to try and tell, tell the story as well so I'm excited to be on board with this this is a thrill this is a real thrill for me so uh, let's talk about this podcast. That's enough about us. Enough <laughs> about me. Let's talk about what this podcast is going to be about. So Mel, where did the idea come from? And uh, what are the, some of the things about this thing that's going to make it so real for people who are tuned in to listen? Well, I'd have to say, you know, like Walt had, you know, the the idea incubating for Disneyland for decades. Yeah. I mean, I've probably uh, been thinking about this for uh at least a decade wow. uh, and you know as we as life happens as yeah. uh, as uh, we're working and traveling and, and drawing 18 hours a day you know there's there's things that uh, you know are fires that you have to put out but I think for me um, again they're unlike uh, so many other um, creative uh, endeavors or industries you know say the film industry or um, you know, writers or whatever. There are just other formats for both recognition, you know, you know, Oscar awards or Academy Awards, Grammys, whatever. I've always felt that um, in the in the spatial storytelling themed entertainment industry, it, it, it is kind of, a, you know, there's definitely a lot of unsung heroes. I mean, there's some amazingly creative, talented folks. Every bit, uh, if not more, uh, hard work, <laughs> you know, in yeah. terms of uh, per per hour of, you know, uh, you know, if you compare it to like a film of screen time, you know, the, the idea of translating those stories into three dimensions can actually take much more hours, you know, per yeah. square foot or per, you know, um, a second of visitor uh, or audience uh, experience. And they're really, other than our, in, you know, internal industry, you know, uh, it's almost like we have to like pat ourselves on the back with yeah. our themed entertainment association <laughs> that's right uh, the awards because the rest of the world just doesn't even know we exist or yeah, that's you, know, right. and, you know and there is a little bit of a uh, of a kind of a fan community but at the end of the day the vast vast majority that visit uh, some of these top human magnets on the planet uh, has no idea you know who and how this stuff actually comes to, to be. And, and again, the opportunity to kind of showcase and, and share some of the stories, the, the travels, the travails, the journeys yeah. of uh, some of our uh, fellow uh, collaborators, contributors, and creatives in the industry. I just thought, uh, man, that that's just a no-brainer. There's some guys that just have such uh, 
amazing talent and creativity that, that we've just got to get their stories out there. Um, and again, there's there's other sites, there's other blogs, there's other uh, podcasts that that are you know whether it's I don't know the the fan thing or or the the trip reviews or yeah. uh, r- you know rumors and news. Yeah, uh, I just thought that there's there's space to really do uh, uh, deeper dives in terms of some of the almost theme parkology yeah uh you know behind how does this stuff happen uh and what's uh what's uh kind of the meaning of all this yeah whether it's history whether it's theory uh you know uh you know almost the cultural anthropology uh kind of the the thinking man's (laughs) uh guide to some of this stuff rather than you know again chasing the latest rumors or wouldn't it be funny if we you know did this or that so you've said you've talked to me about before how uh there was this amazing synergy that happened at WED um, early on when Walt first empowered his guys to start making things in thir- three dimensions where they're going to now create environments, not just animation. And um, that there's a variety of disciplines that had to be developed. And those d- disciplines are still in uh, play today with all of the professionals, all the experts uh, who are creating these themed attractions around the world. Uh, talk a little bit about how we're going to tie in uh, those disciplines to each episode as we go. You know, it's funny that you mentioned, I just literally had uh, lunch yesterday uh, at Disneyland <laughs> with, a, <laughs> with a friend and he had his uh, 11-year-old daughter and, and she just asked me a simple question that I think a lot of people ask the same question, you know, and she basically was asking, um, you know, when you create theme parks or, you know, specifically about my role and my job and basically asking, are you the architect or are you the guy that comes up with the ideas? So people have this mm-hmm. real simple idea that there's mm-hmm. this creative side, this yeah. kind of, uh, and then someone that actually just engineers that. So it's almost like there's two people holding two pencils. Yeah, or something, that's right. You know, and one's the left brain, one's the right brain. And it's this overly simplified perspective and you know part of that is even in the name imagineer right like there's yeah. the imagined guy and then there's the, the engineering guy. guy yeah uh, true. the the reality is um, and i always love to point out the fact that you know at uh, walt disney imagineering you know we had 140 different disciplines represented yeah. architecture was only one of those 140 um, and again i think that's the beauty of even the the roots of of wed um and imagineering um i thought it was just so cool that <laughs> one of walt's uh neighbors and good friends was welton beckett one of the <laughs> the most successful commercial architects yeah. uh in the mid-century modern era uh, of los angeles and that welton beckett really was almost responsible for you know i i think of him as almost co-creating wed when he actually told walt you need to actually fire uh you know, my competitor that you hired, you yeah, know, yeah. Uh, another firm called Pereira Luckman that uh, had the contract to, to do the design work for Disney. But he just said, look, what you need isn't another one of me. You don't need yeah. a commercial architect. Um, you know, there's you'll need that at some point. But really, to do the heavy lifting, you really need to take people that get your language uh, mm. in the in the visual storytelling genre and um what welton didn't really understand was that you know walt's background animation really did require him to go outside of his own studio to get guys from 20th century fox that had experience with doing backlots and and um live action 
production design, uh, like Herb Ryman and so on and so forth. But again, with that said, that idea of having this renaissance team of left brain, right brain people, of people that could actually uh, engineer stuff, that could actually conceive of stuff, that could uh, lead the production design, and that you could manage this kind of motley crew of artists and artisans and ar- and architects. Yeah. Um, and so that's definitely the way that we model Storyland Studios. That yeah. we, we have uh, people that can go from a master plan, uh, an initial script, you know, writing uh, all the way through the guys that actually will, will carve the foam yeah, uh, right. and sculpt the rock work and, and actually uh, uh, fabricate this stuff. And so we love that eclectic mix and I couldn't imagine doing life without, without yeah. that kind of idea all the way through implementation, ideation kind of idea. Yeah. Um, but, uh, it's not the way that, uh, the, the normal world is designed or built, unfortunately. That's right. Uh, and again, I think that's something that hopefully we can bring to the table is that, that magic alchemy of, uh, imagineering, uh, that our industry represents. Yeah. Uh, that's fantastic. Well, uh, I know we're going to expect a few things. I know we're going to hit on some topics. Um, we're going to be talking about uh, a lot of those disciplines um, and 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 the key people who are uh, are talented in those disciplines who made certain things happen. I mean, I like think about the type of interview interviews we could have if we're talking about. Uh, animatronics. Well, we're going to want to talk to key people who had some. Uh, animatronic challenge to overcome. We're not going to talk about how they get the inspiration. Maybe we will, but the point is really like if somebody's listening and they want to become good at animatronics or they're facing a problem in their own park that they're dealing with animatronics that they might be able to pull some nugget of wisdom from somebody who uh, solved one of those problems along the way. And that's, that's what we're looking to be able to do with some of our guests. Uh, We'll also be talking to innovators, some people that we're just so blown away that they took one concept and turned it into something brand new. Um, And, uh, of course, history. You and I are big uh, history buffs. Let's let's dig deep into some of the key players, whether it's uh, the Universal Parks, the Cedar Fair Parks, the uh, Disney Parks, a variety of these places that have done some amazing things, uh, and then the people who are doing it into the future. I'm really excited about those opportunities. Yeah, and I I can't wait, too, because, uh, again, so much of... Uh, the the news and and buzz today is is about you know the what the big corporate parks i.e. Disney or Universal are up to and you know long forgotten is yeah. the amazing story of of kind of the the rise of the regional theme park industry you yeah. know in America and beyond and and some of the unique backstory of some of these great you know regional parks that have almost forgotten that they were once theme parks you know yeah. I'm thinking of some of the Cedar Fair parks like a Kings Island that, that actually right. had some original Disney designers. Uh, and you know some pretty uh, elaborate uh, schemes at the outset uh, that uh, have kind of at some level been lost in time and and uh, some stories that uh, you know have never really gotten out there or just don't exist in print today so it'll be fun to uncover some of that yeah archaeology of, yeah yeah uh, archaeology yeah <laughs> yeah no that's really exciting we and I, I I know that there's even today there's lots of regional parks that are starting to spring up and some really creative ones that are out there I know one's coming up uh, very very soon um, and I uh, in Utah that I'm excited to go see and so this isn't a dead industry it doesn't stop with the big universals and and Disney's. It doesn't stop there. There are creatives 
in the world right now creating fantastic places. I mean, think of think of how Asia has filled up with theme parks. Think about where theme parks are going to fill in next. You know, India is loaded with people. Um, well, who, Warner Brothers movie uh, yeah, and, world's getting ready to open up. Uh, and uh, I think Abu Dhabi Abu is Dhabi. the largest indoor theme park. We've got a lot of friends that are working on that that can't quite talk about it yet yeah. until opening but again once they're allowed to talk uh, it'll be great to have them on and share uh, that story because it's just going to be a wonderfully immersive you know raising of the entire bar in that region of the world for yeah. sure. and we really are it's, it's becoming a theme park world so somebody um, needs to be talking about it and then educating the next generation to be able to do that well uh, this has been a lot of fun um, we need to do this again like in a week <laughs> why and- not <laughs> And get some guests on this. So um, we're just thrilled uh, to be able to provide this for you. We want you to be able to subscribe. Um, this is our first one. More is yet to come. And uh, you're going to be surprised with each new episode uh, that comes. So uh, please do subscribe. And uh, we're glad to have you. Any last words? Well, we're also excited to relaunch ThemedAttraction.com as oh. well. And we've been hot and heavy and working creatively, collaboratively with the uh, uh, its founder Nathan Neighborson over there, and we introduced. We're looking forward to introducing you to him, yeah. uh, and we're looking forward to bringing up some of their historical uh, conversations, uh, bringing those back to the forefront with you know amazing Imagineers like Eddie Sato and and others, um, and then also kind of adding to new content there. So hopefully, there's a nice synergy between the uh, the website and the podcast. As yeah, well. yeah, yeah. I mean. Uh, feel awful that I uh, neglected to point that out. So uh, it's exciting. Uh, right at this exact same time, even, uh, uh, ThemedAttraction.com is getting ready to launch. And so Nate Naverson is a fantastic uh, character, and we'll probably have him on soon. Uh, as That's my guest. next meeting, is the, that is the redesign of that website. So, so yeah, fantastic. Well, uh, thanks for listening. We're glad to have you, and uh, we hope you enjoyed being had. The Themed Attraction Podcast is hosted by Freddie Martin and Mel McGowan. Get access to more stories and interviews at themedattraction.com, the world's most comprehensive site on theme park and themed attraction design. This episode was brought to you by MyStudioSpace.com. MyStudioSpace is a group of fun and thoughtful online professionals who want to make you happy by simplifying and personalizing your website with powerful and cheap web hosting and domains. If you're not web savvy, talk to MyStudioSpace. They rub off. Honest. Call 407-701-7577 or go to MyStudioSpace.com to get started. Connect with Mel by email via mel at storylandstudios.com or follow him on Twitter at Mel McGowan and Instagram at Visioneer. You can find me at freddymartin.net and follow my adventures at Skipper Freddy on Instagram and Twitter. Our theme music was composed by Rob Watson. Other music provided by The Lost Dogs. This episode was designed and produced by the one and only Dr. Barry Hill. Find him at barryrhill.com. You know, Mel, Barry is only dangerous when he wiggles his ears and blows bubbles. Thanks for listening, folks.